I'm Lonnie Hirsch, co-founder of Healthcare Success Strategies, and our guest today is Dr. Stephen Zimmett, president of the American Board of Venous and Lymphatic Medicine, formerly the American Board of Phlebology. Dr. Zimmett is founding president of the American Board of Phlebology, and in 2011, he was elected by his peers for inclusion in the Best Doctors in America database for 2011-2012 for phlebology and dermatology. Dr. Zimmett has been practicing in Austin, Texas for over 30 years, and he has given over 70 presentations at national and international medical conferences and authored numerous articles for internationally recognized medical journals. Since 2007, Dr. Zimmett has served as editor for Phlebology, the Journal of Venous Disease. Dr. Zimmett, thanks for being with us today. Lonnie, thanks so much for having me. I wanted to start out by uh, asking you about the recent name change. The American Board of Venous and Lymphatic Medicine is recent name change from the previous American Board of Phlebology. So why uh, change the name and, and why now? So that's a, it's certainly a very timely uh, question as this is very recent news. We've made this decision within the last few weeks. You know, I'd say that the key issue is that the word phlebology remains uh, not very well known either to the lay public but even to the medical community at large. Um, and this is despite the fact that phlebology has been um, uh, sort of in use with some of the medical societies, for instance, the American College of Phlebology for, for 20 years. It still remains an issue. So we're convinced that the name change will more clearly convey the purpose of our organization and the focus of our diplomats. Um, and think that this will help improve communication, reduce confusion uh, when these kind of terms come up and our board comes up before the lay public, other physicians, health plans, and uh, various governmental and, and non-governmental agencies. And then as to why now, the main reason is that we are we, we have been working on trying to standardize and strengthen the curriculum in venous uh, medicine. And we have developed a core content document, what's critical in the field and can be used in training programs. Uh, and we will be submitting that for publication. And so uh, we felt like if we're going to change our name, it's sort of now or, or never because we want to have the name change in time for the submission of these documents to the medical journals. Uh, well, you know, there are many different medical specialists who treat venous disease. Uh, I, I can think of vascular surgeons, cardiovascular surgeons, interventional cardiologists, interventional radiologists, general surgeons, dermatologists, and uh, even more. And, and I know some practices are exclusively dedicated to treatment of venous disease, while other practices are adding venous disease treatment as part of a broader scope of practice. So do the diplomates of the ABVLM reflect that diversity of specialties, or do certain specialties represent a greater percentage of your diplomates? Essentially, our diplomates do, in fact, reflect this diversity. For, for instance, our diplomates come from both surgical and non-surgical fields. Roughly 42% of our diplomates are, come from a surgical background, with a, about 29% from general surgery and about 13% from vascular and cardiovascular surgery. We have about 26% from primary care backgrounds such as family practice and internal medicine. 
about 9% come from a background of radiology, 5% from emergency room medicine. We have diplomats from dermatology, from OBGYN. So yes, I think we do sort of reflect what's happening in the field. Well, what do you see as the most significant trends in the treatment of venous and lymphatic disease? What, what's on the horizon? Well, there, there's been a tremendous revolution in the treatment of, of venous, particularly venous disease, but also lymphatic disease. Um, for both uh, venous insufficiency, such as varicose veins, and, and even in the treatment of deep vein disease, uh, especially uh, blood clots. So treatment has, in general, become much more targeted um, and is much less invasive than, than older methods. So we have methods that are easier on the patient with easier recoveries, as are more successful than, than more aggressive interventions. Uh, so, for instance, with the varicose veins, instead of in-hospital surgical vein stripping, we can now routinely treat virtually all patients with varicose veins, even large, very large veins, in office under local anesthesia with minimally invasive treatment methods with a high degree of success and, and safety. And, and I would say that these minimally invasive techniques are continuing to develop. So, for instance, there's now a couple of methods in the pipeline. There's some early studies that demonstrate, uh, appear to demonstrate good uh, safety and effectiveness, and now don't even require the use of local anesthesia. So we're just getting less and less of inv invasive and, and more targeted. I think those are the main changes. Well, what challenges do you see in insurance reimbursement criteria for the treatment of venous disease? You know, there's a serious lack of understanding in general about vein disease, certainly uh, part of insurance companies, but also, as I've described earlier, perhaps even, you know, our medical colleagues not in the field, like the lay public. Um, so there, there's a lack of understanding, and, and, and that creates an opportunity. But cu currently, for instance, patients are often required to wear compression stockings for a few months uh, on a trial basis before an insurance company will consider approving definitive treatment. Now, we all know that compression stockings may temporarily, temporarily reduce vein symptoms, but they don't address the underlying causative problem in any kind of long-term fashion. Additionally, there's a lot of variability in, in veins from one patient to another, so you, could, you can't have a one-size-fits-all approach. Uh, what's an appropriate treatment for one person may not be the best approach for another. So it can take a lot of time and effort to convey these kinds of details to an insurance company in order for them to understand the rationale for the treatment plan being recommended. Now, on the other hand, as more and more studies are published and the, the, just the wealth of evidence basis for these newer treatments um, are, are made public and enter the public domain, I think it's going to become easier to convey to insurance companies what appropriate treatments are, and hopefully we can move to a more efficient insurance reimbursement system. That's very interesting. Thank you. Uh, another topic. Most people who have uh, venous disease don't proactively seek treatment or even understand the health implications and risks associated with their symptoms. Uh, even people who seek treatment don't really understand their treatment options. Uh, as you mentioned, and our research also shows, that a surprising number of patients still assume that vein stripping is the primary treatment for venous disease. And, and many doctors also don't know how to, <clears throat> don't recognize how to identify 
uh, indications of venous disease and when to refer those patients to a specialist. Uh, how important is it, in your view, for practices that uh, are in this field to be proactive in utilizing marketing to reach out and educate patients and physicians so that more people suffering from venous disease understand their options and get optimal treatment from a specialist? I think this is a, a critical area, uh, partly because venous disease is so incredibly common with probably up to at least 33% of adult women having some form of venous disease, and partly because there's a lot of ignorance about it. And I think there's a lot of people who can play a role in trying to bridge that gap and, and improve the understanding and education about venous disease. And it, it can certainly come from the level of the, the in, individual physician and how they, what kind of information they put out on their website and other kinds of materials, communication materials, to societies, to industry. Uh, I think a lot of people can play a role here. Part of the issue is there's been so little formal teaching about venous disease in medical training. And, and so, you know, patients don't generally understand much about their veins and may not be aware of the cause of their leg problems or how to go about finding a qualified physician to, to obtain appropriate evaluation and treatment. And it's important to realize that the significant impact on the quality of life of venous disease, including simple varicose veins, is not well appreciated by most physicians in other fields. Uh, in fact, varicose veins commonly cause important symptoms on a, on a daily basis, and these may include pain, leg heaviness, fatigue, night cramps, restless legs, swelling, uh, and it can lead to venous ulcers, which are quite common. There are probably more than 2 million adults in the U.S. with advanced venous disease, including ulceration. So with the diagnostic and treatment techniques available today, uh, successful and safe treatment of these conditions is the norm, and yet many patients don't realize this, and many physicians in other fields, other disciplines, are not aware of it. So there's a tremendous and important opportunity to educate the lay public, uh, colleagues, insurance companies, and, and other agencies. Uh, I understand that the ABVLM is focused on developing a standardized curriculum in the field uh, for the treatment of venous disease. Why is that a priority for, uh, for ABVLM, and how is the curriculum being developed? The physicians who treat venous disease come from a variety of specialty backgrounds, and, and, and there can be some real benefits to that because people bring knowledge from different areas, and if you come together, you can, you can probably achieve more uh, in terms of understanding and uh, development of diagnostic and treatment techniques by collaboration. Unfortunately, many of the important innovations and developments have come into common use without the opportunity for formal training for those who are already in practice, regardless of what specialty background you know, they had that training in. Uh, so much of modern practice depends on knowledge, skills, techniques that must be learned through conferences, peer-to-peer -peer interactions, other individual postgraduate educational experiences. Uh, and unfortunately, similar challenges continue to exist even for those currently enrolled in a formal training program, even in specialties like vascular surgery. So I think the bottom line is that there is no single specialty today that routinely provides a comprehensive curriculum covering the full spectrum of venous disease. And, and I think most objective physicians would agree that the venous curriculum, even in 
current vascular specialties would really benefit from being standardized and strengthened. So we recognized this problem a couple years ago and developed a, a task force in order to use a collaborative and multi-specialty consensus process to try and establish and develop educational standards in, in venous and lymphatic medicine. So our curriculum task force, which was comprised of key leaders from a variety of uh, specialties, both in the U.S. and internationally, first developed a, a core content document, which is designed to outline the knowledge and skills that are considered essential in the field. We are now embarking on phase two, which is development of the program requirements, which would be the requirements needed to, to be taught to be consistent with that core content. And then the last step will hopefully be programs that are in existence or new programs, adapting their curriculum consistent with the program requirements and our core content so that, you know, the, the venous and lymphatic uh, medicine specialists of the future would, would come to it with really just a, a, a better depth and breadth of knowledge and training from their training program and not have, having to rely on postgraduate experiences in order to catch up to the developments that have happened in the field. The process for a doctor you know, becoming a diplomat of, of, of the board? So there uh, actually, I'll answer it this way, that the, the um, process is open to uh, physicians licensed in the U.S. and Canada. They must have a full and unrestricted license. And then they must meet uh, various criteria about education and training and experience. So they have to submit case logs with their experience in performing procedures and in performing diagnostic ultrasound. And if they, they meet these prerequisites of, of, of experience um, and, uh, and knowledge, then they can sit for an exam. The exam is a 200-item uh, uh, exam delivered via computer uh, across the broad content categories of venous disease. It, it is, in my opinion, after reviewing all of the certification exams available in the U.S. and Canada, is by far the most comprehensive exam of, of venous and lymphatic medicine. So when they have to demonstrate a minimum acceptable level of competence and knowledge, um, the, the examination is very carefully scored and evaluated by psychometricians uh, that we use. And uh, and so that's the process. They have to first have appropriate licensure, then meet prerequisites um, of time and experience in the field, and then pass a comprehensive exam. And we just finished our uh, exam scoring for this year. And so we'll have, at the end of this year, about 600 diplomats certified in the U.S. Well, this has been great. Dr. Zimmett, thank you very much for your time and your insights today. Well, thank you so much. I uh, really appreciate the opportunity to talk about this field. It's, it's a field that uh, many people suffer with, and, and it's, it can be such a wonderful thing to see. People have been suffering for years with daily quality of life issues, uh, achieve such good improvement with a with, uh, high degree of safety and effectiveness uh, with the methods available today. So I appreciate the opportunity to talk about that.